You're listening to the West Side Podcast, a part of the L.A. International Church of Christ Family of Churches, worshiping God in L.A. since 1989. Good morning. Uh, it's great to be together. Seems like it's been a while uh, since I've been up here, so maybe a little bit uh, like don't know what to do here. But uh, it's great to be together. Uh, today is a very special day, uh, as you can see by the picture there. Uh, somebody asked me, he says, why are you all dressed up today, Ken? And I said, well, part of it is, you know, church, but uh, part of it also is today is uh, kind of like graduation uh, week for many of us. And that's uh, so why the Shumps are not here. And then the Brays are, are not here as well. Uh, Alexa's graduating today, I think today or yesterday. And then uh, Danielle um, is graduating today as we speak at uh, LMU Law School. So that's a great day for the uh, Braves. But uh, yesterday I had a chance to go down to Otis uh, School of the Arts and to celebrate uh, our man, Hanley's graduation. Um, and I want to welcome the Eugene family as well. They're here celebrating uh, this whole week uh, uh, with Otis. And they, I think they came here just to make sure that... Uh, Hanley actually is graduating, and all the money that they paid into uh, the graduation. But I uh, really appreciate Hanley. Hanley does so much for our church here. He leads songs. Uh, he was a full-time student, uh, freshly minted graduate. But, uh, you know, just getting to know his friends and family also, just realizing how much he's done even at the school in Otis. You know, Otis is a very liberal arts uh, you know, kind of hipster school, right? It's not like Pepperdine. It's a pretty hipster school. And in the midst of that, I really appreciate Hanley as I hear from his friends and just how he pulled people together and preached the Word of God and started these uh, small groups uh, over the last few years to really help people know God. And we really appreciate Hanley. I want to lift him up at this time. Hanley, thank you so much for all you do. So. Uh, today is also, I want to start off with that because we do have a bit, uh, really some sad news, some tragic news. Uh, we are a family, the West Side Church, but uh, we also are part of our community. Um, and part of our community uh, suffered loss last night. Uh, one of the workers here on staff, his name is Charlie Hernandez, uh, died uh, while he was riding his motorcycle. And he passed away last night, and uh, we're still trying to ascertain what happened and what maybe perhaps some of the needs that are going to arise in the next few days here. And uh, we want to be able to take care of, in our part, you know, help out as well. So I want to propose that next week as we get together, as I find out a little bit more about some of the situation, uh, we do know that uh, he's from El Salvador and he has uh, several young kids. Um, So we want to uh, be able to next week take a, a a love offering for Charlie and his family, if that's okay for those that can. But uh, why don't we uh, open up with a word of prayer. Father, we're so grateful to you. God, it's so true what the scripture says about rejoicing with one another and also uh, mourning with one another as well. Uh, God, we mourn with the um, Hernandez family and uh, God, just all their kids, uh, the wife, uh, the extended family as well. God, we don't know exactly what happened, but uh, Father, we want to be there for them uh, as best that we can for this 
this, this, this family, extended family that we have here at the Veterans Auditorium. Father, please be with them as they uh, work through all the details this week, and I pray that we can be an encouragement and a light to them. Father, please be with our service uh, today. Uh, God, we're so grateful to you that we get to be together to listen to your word, uh, that it was handed down uh, through the prophets and the apostles and by your Holy Spirit to teach us, God, to show us the way to have a relationship with you. And Father, I pray that uh, this morning as we look at your word and as we hear the news of just how short life can be, that we are extra open to you and your word, God, that we get an urgency of how much we need to really work out our salvation with fear and trembling and at the same time to help others uh, to know you as well. God, I know that sometimes we forget, uh, Father, how urgent that is. And yet, uh, Father, you are always prodding us and teaching us and helping us to remember. God, as we really listen to this lesson and really open up our hearts to get ready for communion, I pray that the message of the cross convicts us and inspire us as well. And God, that it will make a change in our lives, that we won't go out of here, just go about our own business, but that we will be impacted by your word and that, uh, God, we will impact the communities and the families that we are in. God, we are so grateful to you. God, thank you so much for all of our friends who are here today and families as well. And we pray for those who are traveling that, uh, God, they'll have safe returns. But, uh, Father, I pray that uh, you will really help us to build an incredible church uh, here on the west side that will impact the world at large. God, we love you. We pray all this in his name. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, for 2016, uh, just as the election season is going on, we are piggybacking on that to really talk about Jesus as our number one person in our lives. You know, as we listen to the news and watch the, you know, all these shows about uh, who's going to be running for candidates and all the promises that they make, we know in our hearts that ultimately it is God that uh, grants us justice. It is God that grants us life. Amen? And yet sometimes for us, even as disciples, it's so hard for us to do that because life is knocking at us every day. When we get up, we've got to go to school, got to go to work, you know, get that paycheck, pay the, pay the bills, get the kids to school, and all that stuff, and uh, we forget about who God is. And that's why Sunday is so important as we get together collectively as a body to take communion, to remember the cross, but to remember the message of the cross as well. You know, I want to uh, extend that out to just some of the things that we're going to be doing in the next few weeks. Um, in the month of June, we're going to be taking up our special missions contribution. Uh, we had that couple from the Middle East who came and who preached the word to us at our regional, uh, but now it's our turn. It's our turn to really think about how we can help out throughout the world. And the charge for our church so far is um, the Middle East and uh, Latin America. So every year we've been really going about just doing our, our part in our special contribution to support the work over there. And this year, it's the same as last year, where our goal is to do a 10 times contribution. And uh, in June is the beginning of when we will take up our contribution. But really, we're going to have the whole month of June to figure things out and how, how we can really make sacrifices. And I appreciate some of the brothers and sisters already, you know, selling stuff and 
coming up with plans and um, to, to really make that. I know for Lena and myself, uh, without Nicole knowing, Nicole's at uh, school in San Diego, uh, we're going to be selling her car for the special missions contribution. I don't think she knows that, but uh, hopefully she'll figure that out. But she doesn't even have her license. It's been a while. Come on. I've been waiting, waiting, waiting. But uh, it's a 99 Camry. It's got 199,000 miles on it. If you're interested, uh, come see me at the church. Uh, Kids Kingdom Workers. And this is a big announcement that I wanted to do myself. We're going to shift gears a little bit. In the past, we've asked you know, people to volunteer, and we super appreciate People, all the people have volunteered. It's, it's hard work. I mean, you, it's a lot of stuff that we get back, but uh, serving Kids Kingdom, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's work. And, and that's why, you know, we want to be sensitive, uh, reserve a lot of time for the fellowship, but cut this, the message, you know, in a reasonable hour uh, time so that the Kids Kingdom people can enjoy the fellowship as well. That's one of the impetus why we are so, you know, uh, hardline, if you will, on the sermons, about 35 minutes, 40 minutes. But the new rotation's coming up on May 25th, and here's what we're going to do. Now, we're going to look for volunteers, but at the same time, we believe that in our church we serve. Amen? And uh, today, afterwards, we're going to have a, a small group leaders meeting, and we're going to go through some of the, 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 the family groups and see who is in need of service or who's in need of really helping out. Really, we're doing this for you. It's, it's an honor to serve in the kingdom. Amen? So I, I just thank you. You don't have to say thank you. You're welcome. You're welcome. But we're going to go through our membership and just to see who we want to nominate a few folks that can uh, serve. And those that have served in different capacity, you know, um, super great fight. You know, I look out in the room and so many of us serve in so many ways. I look at Miguel, you know, Cervantes is helping us with the financial piece and putting that together. And I hope that's been going well with you. But I can say that about so many people uh, in this room today, Okay. But again, don't, don't thank me. You're, you're, you're welcome. You're welcome. But you might be tap on the shoulders, amen, to have this privilege of serving in kids' kingdom. We will be starting a series uh, in conjunction with our summer program. This series is for Sunday, and it's entitled Brand New. And speaking of brand new, you see the Williams are, are here. Uh, welcome back. I know you guys have been traveling. Um, I want to segue this into good news and kind of sad news as well. They're going to be moving to Denver. They're going to take their brand new baby and moving to, to Denver. We can boo them. Boo. Yeah, you know, come on, man. We, we, we put your picture on here just to entice you to stay. But you're moving anyways. All right. No booing. No booing. Wow, who did that? Uh, so we're going to miss you. When is the actual move, Jason? Okay, but, but I appreciate them. They, they want to come back up here for services until they actually move because this is really their family as well. So we're going to miss you. We're going to have a little different Kobe, you know, farewell party style for you. Amen? But another sad news today is that, Bree, Bree, I need you to stand on up. Bree McCullough's moving. Bree got uh, accepted to graduate school in uh, Tufts. It's a great school. Ivy League. Don't feel too sorry for her. Ivy League. So uh, today is uh, Bree's last day. I know in the singles ministry we're going to have different farewells, but uh, if you get a chance to uh, say goodbye, farewell so long uh, to Bree. Uh, today is our last service here. So uh, so let me back to our series. And uh, 
this is going to be starting next week about the church. Today we're going to talk about ourselves. Next week we're going to talk about the church. And we're going to start a series about four or five weeks. Um, and we invited Brian Craig to do one of those uh, lessons. And then uh, Todd's going to do one of those lessons as well. And we're going to really talk about how, as we enter the month of the month, summer months, on how we're going to really get the church heading into a new level of faith. A new level of commitment, a new level of just joy and faith and love uh, for God. Amen? So that's going to be the series uh, starting next week. But today, we're going to talk about this word here. And it's a word that uh, falls in line with our 2016 theme of Jesus. It's actually an architectural term, cruciform. And it talks about just how when architects, they, they build buildings, they build it in the shape of the Christian cross. And whether it's a, you know, a place of worship or a building or any kind of building where they have an aspect or a shape that has the cross in it. And about 25 years ago, different authors, Christian authors, would look at that and they go, you know what, that's really a cool concept but instead of just the architects building these, this shape of the cross into buildings, what about our lives? What about our Christian lives? Does it exhibit the cross? Do we as a people of God exhibit the fact that we walk around, like Paul says, carrying the cross with us in our hearts? And hence, they coined the term cruciform in the Christian realm and they, you know, expand it out a little bit more, and they call it cruciformity, an expansion to the whole church. Do we exhibit cruciformity in our lives? When people look at us, when they see us in our fellowship, when they see us in our jobs, when they see us in our, in our classrooms, do they go, there's something about this person that exhibit a mystery about them. They're motivated. And they're inspired by something deeper than the obvious. And we're going to use the next few weeks to talk about the church role in that. But today I want to talk about our own individual representation of cruciformity. The cruciform life. And um, I have four points. And uh, we're going to read basically out of the book of Mark. And I need us to open up our Bibles there, and we're going to just park there for the whole time. I have four points today. It says, necessary but not sufficient. That's point number one, and it's talking about theology. That you're going to see Jesus in his interaction with Peter, and that although Peter had the right answer, it was necessary, but it was not sufficient. It was not enough. And number two, that Jesus had to explain to Peter and the rest of the apostles that there is no other way. That the glory that they sought, the glory that they want, the honor that they want, had to go through the way of the cross. Glory came through suffering. Point number three. And he went beyond that, and not just addressing the apostles and the disciples, but Jesus went to the crowds and says that there is no tiered membership. You know, I get a lot of mail, junk mail. Do you? Right? They try to always entice you. You know, you got the, you got the regular blue membership, and then you got 
the gold card, and then you got the platinum card, and these different tiered, you know, part, you know the membership of, of these credit cards, and you get different benefits. But Jesus says there is no tiered membership. There is no tiered discipleship. And lastly, we're going to segue that and introduce our theme for the next few weeks, the cruciform church and how the church collectively needs to exemplify the cruciform life. Point number one. Let's, start, let's open up our eyes to Mark chapter 8. We're going to old school today. Go back to the scriptures. And we're going to look at this chunk of scripture starting with Mark chapter 8 and verse 27. And I want to segue into this because this is really interesting about just how the Bible is put together. Sometimes we get a little bit frustrated, right? Because the Bible is not chronological. It's like, hey, is this, does this really follow this? Or how does this work? And theologians argue about it and all this and that. But a lot of theologians will tell you that as these, these, these gospel writers put together the Bible, they, they put in chunks of relevant pieces in the life of Jesus to make points. So if you read in, in Mark chapter 8 and verse 22, Jesus heals the blind man of physical healing at Bethsaida. And yet Matthew, Mark used this to segue into a deeper blindness, which is what? Spiritual blindness. So he juxtaposed these two passages together to help us to understand that, yes, there's physical blindness, but there's something that's even deeper than that which is spiritual blindness. In verse 27, the Bible says this, as Jesus and his disciples went on to the villages around Caesarea Philippi. On the way, he asked them, who do people say I am? They replied, some say John the Baptist. Others says Elijah. And still others, one of the prophets. But what about you? He asked, Who do you say I am? Peter answered, You are the Messiah. Jesus warned them not to tell anyone about him. And it, it parallels the passage before because he also told the blind man whom he had just healed not to go into the village. And we're going to take a look at why um, people think that he said that. Okay? The scripture says what? Jesus, along his ministry, he's shown enough of himself, his ministry to these disciples whom he chose to be part of his entourage. And they know that, you know, he's something. They're not sure who he was, and at this point, they're not even sure what he was. So as they're getting along, Jesus asks them a simple question that is really on their minds already. Who is this guy? And he asks them, he says, who do people say I am? And the disciple says, well, I think we've heard, you know, John the Baptist coming back. Some people say that you're one of the prophets. You know, but, but, you know, we're not sure. Okay? And then Jesus says, what? What about you? I love how Jesus, I, I love how he, takes this big group, these grand ideas, and he pushes us back to our individual faith. What about you? What, uh, he says, who do you say 
that I am? And the answer is not as easy as you think. It has implications for who we think Jesus really is. Because if we really believe that Jesus is who he says he is, then our lives begin to change. And we need to take him seriously. And we need to take him really, really seriously. To a point where it transforms our lives. And Jesus asked these guys this because they are thinking about that. They're wrestling with that point. You look at our world today, and really this question is still really relevant today. Who is Jesus as we live in this postmodern world? Is he relatively, he's a good man, he's a good person. He's a good guy. He brought some good ideas, some good philosophy. And then Peter had the right answer. He says, you are the Christ. You're not just a guy who is coming with some great ideas and some good advice about life. You are the one that's been promised through Scripture. You're the one. And you know, Peter must have been so excited to think about that. Think about it yourself. You're in this town, and here's this guy that's doing all these miracles showing signs and wonders that people go, man, there is nowhere, this must be divine. And Peter gets the privilege of hanging around with Jesus, and he figures it out, and he says, you are the Christ. And I want to focus on this next passage here. Jesus warned them not to tell anyone about him. It sounds so counterintuitive, don't you think? I thought the whole message of the gospel is, get the word out. The whole message of the Bible is let as many people as possible know about you. You know, whether it's the job or the school, get it out, get the message out. But here Jesus says what? Don't tell anybody. You know why theologians said this? Their commentary on this passage here, this little one passage in Mark, they said that there were a couple of reasons that the world was not ready, number one, and number two, that the disciples had an incomplete picture of who Jesus is at that time. And they based this on the surrounding scriptures and the circumstances of the time. And Jesus says, don't tell anybody. You're not ready to represent who I am. You're not ready to give an account of who I really, really am. And we feel that way today, don't we? We do. I don't know about you, but even just preaching, there's an insecurity, there should be, that comes from preaching the Word. You just don't know enough. You don't know what's going to happen to you tomorrow. You stand up here and you're dealing with your own sins, you're dealing with your own weaknesses this past morning or this past week, and you're called to come up here and to, to expound on the very words of God. So Jesus says, Can you hold back a little bit and wait for a better picture, wait for a more complete picture of who I am? And then we're going to unleash the gospel. I think sometimes we fall into this and we go, fair enough. And we don't take the time to figure out who Jesus is. And we leave it at that. He says, fair enough. I'm not going to share my faith. I'm not going to sit down with somebody. And our muscles, our spiritual muscles, are just not used 
you know, Jesus says this, don't tell anyone about him, not as something that's going to last forever. He says, at this time, don't tell anyone about me because you have an incomplete picture about me. But if you hang out with me enough, you're going to figure this thing out. And as a matter of fact, I'm going to ask you to go around the world. So point number one is the right theology. It's, it's, it's necessary. It is. But it's not sufficient. It's necessary. Let's get the right theology down. Let's spend the time to get the theology down. Let's, let's spend, if this is truly God's word, let's figure out the time. Let's invest more time into God's word. Let's get a good commentary. Let's become a people of the word. Amen? And I want to encourage us. I want to challenge us from the beginning of our series. How deep are we in God's word? How invested are we in researching God's word? And comparing that to watching a good ball game. I enjoy a good ball game. Reading a good book. How much do we really invest in theology? How much do we really invest in finding good resources for us? You know, we live in a, such a great, great time. There is no more excuses, right? I remember when I was growing up, what I really wanted for Christmas was the Encyclopedia Britannica sets. That's what I wanted back then. They, hey, look, some of you kids are like, what is that? That is like a set of 24 volumes of books that has everything in it. It's called the Encyclopedia. Back then, there was no Wikipedia. That was it. And oh my gosh, how I wish, you know, and you have installment plans because it was so expensive. The internet has thrown them out of business we have so much technology, we have no more excuses. You know, Lena and I were in Vietnam, and we used to smuggle Bible to, Bibles into Vietnam. Like, like we, we would put it in Elizabeth's diaper bag, like two Bibles here. You know, we would put another two Bibles there. And these Christians who had these Bibles were like gold to them. And then with the advent of the Internet, we're like, forget this, we don't need to do this anymore. We just download it and print it ourselves. There's no more excuses for us. You know, the Bible says that my people die from a lack of knowledge. They're being tossed back and forth by the winds and the waves because they don't, they're not certain of what the, the, the Bible says. Jesus told these guys, hold on, hold on, let's get some more stuff before I unleash you guys on, in the world. It's necessary, but it's not sufficient, but it's necessary. Amen? Point number two. Glory through suffering. Let's, let's, let's read together. In verse 31. He then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. He spoke plainly about this, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Seems like a nice thing to do, isn't it? Your friend says that, hey, look, I'm going to be suffering here. Uh, They put me in jail or whatever. They're going to flog me. They're going to kill me. And Peter, out of his love for Jesus, seemingly, right, ostensibly, is his compassion and his his, uh, concern, says, hey, this will never happen to you. In verse 33. 
But when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter. Get behind me, Satan, he said. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. You look at the scripture and we can sympathize with Jesus, after with Peter, don't you think? What a nice guy. He sees his friend talking about suffering. He wants to prevent, you know, Jesus from suffering. It seems like such a nice thing, compassionate thing to do. And then, out of the blue, Jesus turns around and rebukes the tar out of him. And this is what N.T. Wright says. He says, you know, we don't want good news anymore. The good news of the cross, the forgiveness of, of learning through suffering and allowing God to really transform us through suffering, using suffering to, to help us to become what we need to become. We don't want good news anymore. Instead, we want good advice. We come to church and we want, hey, hey, how can you help me? How can you give me some advice? Give me, some, give me something that's going to help my life become better. Give me something that will, you know, that will tickle my fancy or help me to, 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 to feel better about myself. You know, N.T. Wright is one of the preeminent biblical scholars of our days. He's been compared to C.S. Lewis of our times. He's an Anglican priest and a bishop and a writer and a theologian. And this is as simple as he can break it down. He says, in our society today, the natural tendency is we don't want the good news because the good news entails suffering. The good news entails changes. The good news entails looking at ourselves. And the Bible says what? To find out what is offensive in us towards God and find out what pleases God. But no, we don't want that. We want good advice. Hey, help me. Help me out. And it's counterintuitive but it's also sad because we don't get what we actually want. Unless we let it go and be transformed by suffering. Jesus looks at Peter, at the disciples, but rebuked Peter to signal, hey look, if any of you guys are thinking about this, this answer is for you too. There is no glory without suffering. Christianity has that built-in to the DNA. The true Christian faith has suffering built in to what Christianity is. It is in the fabric of what Christianity is. It is not an intellectual pursuit. It is not just getting some good advice. It is not just, you know, plain going through the motions. It is allowing God to suffer. And I'm not talking about suffering for some things that we've done to ourselves. Although God allows that, right? It is suffering for being a Christian. It is suffering for subjecting ourselves to God's word and God's standard. The suffering that comes from laying ourselves out there, living the cruciform life every day. And that people look at us and they go, that guy, that gal is different. It's not church. It's the cruciform life. We only meet together with church for two hours in the week, maybe a devotional, you know, two hours. Most of our time is spent by ourselves. Are we living 
the cruciform life? Are we disciples of Jesus? Are we growing and changing and allowing and being open about uncomfortable things in our lives? Are we taking responsibility for things that we've done? You know, as we take communion later on, if you think about it, you know, in the Christian faith, there are very few things that God wants us to do in terms of these practices, right? These, these, and communion is one of them. And what is it? It's to reflect and to think and to take responsibility and to compare ourselves with Christ. And we need to do that and understand that there is no glory without suffering. There is no glory. Jesus says, I got, you got to know this. If we are going to go on any further, you got to know this right now. There is no glory without suffering. Point number three. You know, I'm sorry, it says, uh, verse 32, he spoke plainly about this, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. He said, you do not have in things the mind of God, the things of God, but the things of men. You know, are we more influenced by the psychologies of our day or the words, the eternal words of Jesus Christ? What do we really value? Do we memorize scriptures? Do we really think about these things and do we really infuse it into our lives? Do people look at us and they go, man, you're changing, you're growing. I see it. I see the Word of God working in you. There is an expectation of the Word of God working. And I know that there's a very popular term about the church and what the church is, and we'll talk about that next week, and then, you know, the church is a hospital. It is a hospital. But if it's a hospital that people don't get better in, it's called a morgue. There's two sides of it. You can't ignore one and only latch on to the other. You know, it's time for us to embrace the cruciform life. Amen? It's time for us to look at ourselves, look at our lives, and go, hey, look, you know, I'm just, I can't blame these people. I can't blame my Bible talk. I can't blame, you know, I, this is me. Point number three. There's no tiered membership. There's no tiered membership. Jesus looked at the disciples and he rebuked Peter. Why did he do that? You too, buddy. If you have this thought in your heart, James, John, Bartholomew, it's not just Peter. I know your thoughts. It's the same thing. Looked at them, rebuked Peter, poor Peter. In verse 34. Then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and says, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it. Whoever loses their life and, uh, um, for me and the gospel will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world? Yet forfeit their soul. Oh, what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his Father's glory and with the holy angels. 
There's no tiered discipleship. He looked at the disciples, he rebuked Peter, and then he gathered the crowds together. He says, if any one of you guys, hey, I, I, I don't want to you know, pull a little bait and switch here. I want to just tell you right from the get-go, this is what it means to be my follower. This is what it means to be a Christian. This is what it means to be a disciple. That if anyone in the crowd, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself or herself. And not only that, but he must take the cross and bear the cross. Randy Harris is a professor at Abilene Christian University, and he says that the gospel according to Peter, so that's what we're dealing with here, is the gospel according to Peter, which is not the cross, or the gospel according to Jesus. And he said that the gospel according to Peter is the equivalent to the American evangelical churches today. He says that as a general statement. He says, if you want to look at the world today, you want to look at the churches today, it more exemplifies the gospel of Peter rather than the gospel of Jesus. That it is a gospel that is devoid of pain. It is a gospel that is devoid of suffering. It is a gospel that is really devoid of discipleship and personal responsibility. It is a gospel that deals more with programs than discipleship. It is a program, it is a, it is a gospel that really gets more people involved and we'll see, you know, instead of really calling, what do you think? Who do you say that I am? And I know for the West, you know, side, the summer months will be really an exciting time, I think, of an opportunity to really call us each back and help each other to become a cruci- to live out the cruciform life. And really, the, the, the point there is expectation. We can talk about it on the pulpit. We can read stories, or we can listen to different, you know, the great sermons out in the world. And, you know, last week, you know, Lena and I went to the Pepperdine Lecture Series. I mean, there are more lessons than you can find. We live in an era now where information has been devalued in some ways because there's just so much out there. And because of that, actions have become more valued, Right? Because you can hear all kinds of stuff. You can get the best stuff out there, but it's what we do after we hear it that makes a difference. So information has become cheaper. You know, in, in the, you know there's, a, there's a coding and a categorization term called taxonomy, right? And they code and they, they categorize you know, these different forms of knowledge. And they said knowledge that comes from just getting knowledge is one of the cheapest forms of knowledge because it's easy. How do you translate that? How do you really make that work into your own life? That's valuable. That's a different term or different level of knowledge. So when Randy Harris says that the gospel, according to Peter, is the American evangelical churches, and we look at it and we go, wow, that's them. Hey, look, it's kind of us too. It's kind of us too. I went out and I shared my faith. I had dinner with Nathan, I appreciate Nathan. We had a great time together. We went to a sushi stop, cheapest sushi in the world, <laughs> that you won't get a stomachache from. Okay, it's like two ninety-five. It's like we're like we're like whopping down. Like, That's gonna go for more. That's gonna go for more. 
And then uh, I shared my faith with these people that were waiting in line. And Nathan asked me something. I asked him for permission to share about this because this is something that he's working on. He says, Ken, why did you do that? That, that seemed odd to me when I was sharing my faith with this, these two guys. He says, why did you do that, Ken? Because that's what we do. And I appreciate Nathan. And we had a good talk about it. We talked about the fear. We talked about the disappointments in the past. The people that he shared with that hasn't come around or, or whatever. It's true. It's pain. It's suffering. When you lay yourself out there like that, it's hard. But you have a choice. You don't just stop. You keep going. Amen? And I appreciate Nathan. He came up to me this morning. He says, I can't. I share my faith with somebody. I don't think she's coming. That's okay. You know, it's good for you. It's good for you. It's the cruciform life. It's laying yourself out there, looking like a fool, looking like an idiot. But you're putting yourself out there. And God appreciates that. Amen? He called the crowd to him. He said, this is for everybody. This is not just for the full-time leaders. This is not just for, you know, people that are in full-time ministry. This is for everybody. And you, and you, and you, and me, all of us together. There's a paradox that comes with Christianity. If you want life, you got to give it up. You want glory, you got to suffer. You want to become mature, you got to be like a little child. It's the upside-down kingdom. It is the upside-down kingdom. It is counterintuitive. But it's awesome. It's awesome. Why in the world would you want to be like just like everybody else? God's calling us to be special. Not in our own right, but in His right. He's making us. The cruciform life is special. It's unique. We don't go see movies about some people. We want to see heroes, right? And people pay a lot of money. <laughs> That's what they bank on. You know, Iron Man 1, 2, 3, 4, 5. Now there's Ant-Man. There's like, I don't know, there's all kinds of whatever. We get to be Iron Man. We get to be Ant-Man. The cruciform life. Why would you choose anything else? To be able to change when everybody else is enslaved year after year, day after day. We get the Holy Spirit and be changed and be transformed. My last point, the cruciform church. So that, that whole passage, I, I, I couldn't end it in that because it's kind of a bummer. It's a little bit of a bummer. Satan, you know. Evil. You can't make it. Get out of here. Chapter 9. And he encourages them. And he said to them, Truly I tell you, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see that the kingdom of God has come with power. He's talking about the church. One form of the kingdom. The kingdom is God's rule. And where God's rule is in nature, where God's rule is in the celestial movements of the universe. But God's rule, if we allow him, is in his church. Amen? And he encourages them. After he rebukes them, lay them out, 
call them demonic. He says, listen, I still believe in you. And you're going to see this power. You're going to see the world change. And we, in retrospect, having the advantage of looking back in history, understand that Mark 9, chapter 1, of chapter 9, verse 1, is indeed fulfilled. Amen? Through these people that had their weaknesses, their doubts, and their concerns, that gives me a lot of hope for us as a church. We're going to start a new, really a new phase on the Westside Church as we hire, you know, a new couple coming in. We're finalizing that. And we're going to really get more grassroots. We're going to get in there with each one of the Bible talks. We are going to go door to door. We're going to ask the question, what do you think? How are you? What do you feel? Where are you at? Doing good? Doing great. Not so good. Need some help. All right. Let's roll up our sleeves. Let's get in there. The expectation is going to be different. But the execution is going to be different as well. As we think about the crucified, the cruciform life, as we get the chance to take the communion together, let's think about where we are at with God. Amen? With grace, with humility, and with love as well. Let's pray. Father, we're so grateful that we love you. God, we get together here because we love you. We want to do your will. In our weak human minds and bodies, God, we, we want to please you. God, help us to understand what the cross really is all about. And I pray that it can motivate us and inspire us, God, as we laid out our souls before you as well. God, help us to appreciate the body that was given, that was beaten. Help us to appreciate the blood that washes our sins away, God, and help us to live a crucified life every day. Father, I pray that this message, these words of yours, God, will will really permeate into our souls, God, that this week we will think about really getting into the Word deeper, buying a good commentary, getting a good book, picking out a scripture in the Bible, picking out a book in the Bible, and digging into it, and asking each other, what does it really mean, and how does it apply to me? God, I pray that as we take communion together collectively, as we are a cruciform church, that we can honor you, God, with our lives together. I pray that we can inspire you and inspire one another as well. God, we love you so much. God, thank you so much for the cross and what you did. And uh, Father, I know that the Bible says that uh, you died for us with joy and with faith that we will respond. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You've just listened to the West Side Podcast. For more information about our ministry, please visit thewestsidechurch.com or laicc.net.